Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Korean True Crime. I'm your host, Mimi Mizuko. In today's episode, we will be discussing the kidnapping and murder of Bitnari Park, an eight-year-old girl whose kidnapper will shock you. What was that? We start our case today with a young girl whose parents loved her more than the entire world. And to show how much they loved her, they decided to give her a unique and special name. They named her Chirang Chirang Bitnari, which in Korean translates to I will shine brightly. Think of like the book Chrysanthemum. They wanted her to be special and stand out from the crowd. In her daily life, she was referred to just as Nari. So for this episode, we will refer to Chirang Chirang Bitnari Park as just Nari. On August 30th, 1997, when Nari was seven years old, she was attending elementary school and private academies after school that she went to on alternating days. That day, however, she was going to her English academy after elementary school, which got out around 3 p.m., the same time every day, so her mother knew what time to expect her home. But when Nari didn't come home at the anticipated time, her mom began to worry. Hello, this is Mrs. Park. I'm Nari's mother. Did Nari's class leave late today? No? Okay, she hasn't come home yet. I'm going to call some of the other parents to see where she is. Hello, sorry to bother you. This is Mrs. Park. I'm Nari's mom. Did your daughter see Nari leave today? She hasn't come home yet. I wondered if they played together after school. Wait, I, I didn't send someone to pick Nari up. Who did she see? One of Nari's classmates had seen Nari leave school that day, and as she was leaving, not even a block away, she was approached by a younger woman who Nari went with without hesitation. So they had assumed it was like an aunt or a family friend, and the other girl just went her own way. Mrs. Park didn't wait to hear more. She immediately called the police and told them everything she had heard and everything she knew. She recounted what her daughter was wearing that day, the exact route she took home, anything that could be useful. The police obviously took this seriously because it clearly wasn't just her daughter walking away. Someone had seen her leave with a stranger. So they immediately set up a wiretap on their home phone. In what must have felt like the longest hours of the Park family's lives, they waited for the phone to ring. And it took three hours. And at six o'clock, the phone rang. Nari's residence. Nari is fine. Before Mrs. Park could demand to talk to her daughter or get any more information, the caller hung up. They didn't have any more information about the kidnapper, but they could confirm it was the voice of a younger woman, somewhere between maybe 20 to 40 years old, just based off the voice and the description that the classmate saw. The phone call wasn't long enough to trace, so 
they just had to wait for more information. They got to wait for another phone call. In a sleepless night, the Park family slept by the phone. They waited for communication that their daughter was all right, but 24 hours passed after their daughter's disappearance. And at 4 p.m. the next day, the phone rang. I'm taking care of Nari. Prepare 20 million won and come out to the 8th floor of the building in front of Nam De Moon exit of Myeongdong subway station. The police got it. They were able to trace that call to a payphone near the Myeongdong subway station. However, when the police arrived to the payphone's location, the caller had already left. They began to interview people in the area to see if someone had seen someone use the payphone. An older gentleman had been smoking outside at the time and had seen a young woman use the payphone. His curiosity of the young woman paid off because he was able to give a general description of the woman. The payphone's receiver was taken in to lift fingerprints off of, but with nothing to compare it to, in the meantime, the Park family was waiting for another phone call. It wouldn't take long until the woman called the Park family again. They'd received the first three calls within the first 24 hours of her disappearance, and the next call came in at 9 p.m. the second day. That's 30 hours after Nari's disappearance and five hours after the last call. This time, the killer actually communicated more with Nari's parents. Mrs. Park Stalling worked. She was able to keep her on the line long enough for the police to trace the call to a cafe in Myeongdong. The police arrived nine minutes after the call was received. Inside the cafe, it felt like a game of Clue had begun. Excluding employees, there were 13 customers inside the cafe. No one had entered or left in the last 10 minutes. The kidnapper was still inside the building. After barring all of the exits of the cafe, the police came in and announced to all of the 13 customers everyone was to be ID'd and fingerprinted, which some of the customers had a healthy distrust of the police and refused to be ID'd and fingerprinted without a justification. The police didn't offer a reasoning why, and it created quite a commotion. In the disarray, a woman, young, in her third trimester of pregnancy, began to feel abdominal pain and had to be rushed to an emergency room. The police left the cafe without any new information. They weren't any closer to finding the kidnapper. The first 48 hours had passed and the police were beginning to worry that they weren't making major headway in the case. They weren't any closer to finding Nari. So they pressured Mr. and Mrs. Park to open the investigation to the public. That way they could spread her picture on the news, newspapers, and in flyers in a kind of amber alert system. Mr. and Mrs. Park were hesitant, but soon they agreed. They wanted to find their daughter, and soon all of South Korea would know Tudong Tudong Bitnari Park's name. I wonder if everyone has a story from their childhood that changed their town or city. It changed the feeling of safety. It made them lock their doors or check the locks in their doors. Or you had a password for when you were picked up from school like I did. Mine was Dragonfly. Something that changed the feeling of safety forever for you. Of course, I have my own story, but that's for another day. Nari's story scared all of South Korea. It was the moment that made everyone lock their doors. It made them check on their children. 
Their children weren't allowed to walk home alone anymore. It frightened every parent in the nation. Nine days after Nari's disappearance on September 8th, 1997, Mr. and Mrs. Park purchased a birthday cake and they put up decorations and they wrapped gifts and they waited. They waited for Nari to come home for her birthday, her eighth birthday. The cake however, would go stale before they had any more information about Nari's kidnapping. On September 11th, 1997, 12 days after Nari's kidnapping, the police received a phone call on their tip line. It was an older man claiming that his 28-year-old daughter had also gone missing. Her name was Jun Hyunju. Hyunju was a married woman whose husband was away on a business trip. She was also in her third trimester of pregnancy. While watching the news earlier that day, Mr. Jun had seen information about Nari's case, which included a description from eyewitnesses about the kidnapper. He feared the worst. He feared that his daughter, Hyunju, was the kidnapper. Mr. Jun and his wife came into the police station. They sat in an interrogation room while an officer played for them one of the kidnapper's calls. They listened intently to the woman's voice before finally saying, Yes, it's Hyunju. Without a doubt, it's my daughter. The Juns cooperated with the police to bring Nari home, but they didn't have any useful information about where Hyunju was. They didn't know where she could have taken Nari. The Juns wanted to cooperate with the police and wanted to bring Nari home. They said they believed Hyunju was capable of kidnapping a child for ransom and that she wasn't quote-unquote stable. They told the police that most likely their daughter would be staying at a hotel in the area as she had run away from home before. The police searched for hours until they finally found a hotel about 30 minutes away from the cafe they had gone to with a woman fitting the description. They arrived at the hotel shortly after and there was Hyunju just waiting, head hung, quietly sitting on the bed. When they arrived, police were shocked. It was the woman from the cafe. The pregnant woman who complained of abdominal pains and had to be rushed to the emergency room. The woman that they didn't ID or fingerprint. It was Hyunju, and she was sitting patiently on the bed, just coldly waiting. When they demanded to know where Nari was, she just shrugged her shoulders and shook her head. She refused to speak to them. But as she was led from the hotel to the police car, she dramatically began dragging her feet, groaning, complaining of abdominal pains that she needed to go to the emergency room, that they were causing her to lose her child. It was dramatic and calculated. It took two hours of interrogation before Hanju would admit that she was the one who kidnapped Nari, and she also agreed to take the police to the location that Nari was at. The police arrived at the building, which was an old theater that had been repurposed as a storage facility. Hyunju led them to the basement where her storage unit was. Inside the room was filthy. Furniture and boxes were thrown about. Everything was covered in mold and cobwebs, except for one item that stood out like a sore thumb, a large hiking bag, the kind that you can fit multiple sleeping bags inside of. It was in the middle of the room untouched by dust. They knew what was inside the hiking bag before they even approached it. They knew it was Nari, and when they finally unzipped the bag, their fears were confirmed. It was Nari. She was dead, lying in the bag, naked. 
There's a lot of information that's missing between Nari's disappearance on August 30th and now, 12 days later, September 11th, when they discovered her body in the hiking bag. So, let's piece together what happened based on Hyunju's own confessions and police speculation. Hyunju's parents were incredibly cooperative with the police. They had warned the police that Hyunju was a pathological liar. Hyunju had lied about her life before marrying her husband. She told her husband she was a college graduate when in fact she had dropped out of college. Until after her arrest, her husband didn't even know how much debt Hyunju is in. She had amassed $50,000 in debt in the last seven months since their wedding. That's not a little bit of debt. That's qualify for the Squid Games kind of debt. So on August 30th, 1997, when Hyunju went out looking for a victim, she looked for indicators of wealth. Nice clothes, nice academy, and beauty. She believed that a beautiful child would bring in more money than an ugly child. And Nari was chosen because she was all three of those things. She dressed nicely, she went to a nice English academy, and she was beautiful. When Nari left her English class that day, Hyunju approached her and said that her mom had arranged for her to go somewhere fun, that Hyunju would take her there and they would have a fun afternoon. So Nari went with her with no suspicions that she was in danger. When they arrived at the storage unit, Hyunju coldly turned on Nari and began punching her. She forced her to the ground and duct taped her hand, feet, and mouth. Hyunju paced around the room and then made... The first call. Hyunju was panicking when she made the first call, which must have startled Nari because she began to sob loudly through her gag. Hyunju threatened if she didn't stop, she'd be in trouble. But the eight-year-old child couldn't stop herself from crying after hearing the phone call that had just happened. Hyunju climbed on top of her, removed the tape from her mouth, and began force-feeding the child sedatives. Nari continued to cry, which angered Hyunju because the sedatives weren't working fast enough for her. So again, she climbed on top of Nari and began strangling her until she died. Hyunju would continue to pretend Nari was alive on the following phone call she made. After Hyunju's arrest, she would continue to change her story multiple times at random. She would say she was the sole perpetrator, and then suddenly there was someone else, and then her husband helped her, then her parents helped her, and then there was another woman that helped her. But not in a single time that she mentioned another perpetrator, there was any evidence. The police determined that they needed to see if they could catch Hyunju in a lie. They began to suggest information by misremembering details of her story when telling it back to her to see if she would edit the mistakes, saying, no, that's not right, that's not what I said. Instead, she adapted her narrative to the new suggestions that the police gave, which told them she was lying. While awaiting her trial, Hyunju got multiple calls from her parents, who were crucial to the investigation and the arrest of Hyunju. So, they weren't exactly calls of support. Her parents actually called her, begging her to commit suicide. Hyunju's parents would call five times asking for her to commit suicide. And in one of the calls, Hyunju would tell the police that they said, the only way for you to atone is by killing yourself. 
and we will soon follow, so don't be afraid. When the trial began, it was revealed that Hyunju was diagnosed with theatrical personality disorder, or more commonly known as histrionic personality disorder. I am not a medical professional or trained in psychology, so please refer to the DSM-5 with me for a definition of histrionic personality disorder. HPD is defined as an individual who displays patterns of attention-seeking dramatic behavior in order to gain approval of others. HPD is in the same category as antisocial personality disorder and is also defined by explosive or criminal acts. This is not to say anyone with any personality disorder is a criminal, but it lends us insight into Hyunju's actions and lived experience. It was also brought up during the trial, which makes it relevant to us. I believe the Diagnosis criteria is also incredibly interesting to this case because it details a lot of the behavior that we have heard Hyunju do. There are eight points to the DSM-5 diagnosis criteria for HPD. One, the individual is uncomfortable when not the center of attention. Two, the individual engages in provocative behavior. Three, they display shifting or shallow emotion. Four, they use their appearance to gain attention. Five, they use impressionistic or vague speech. 6. Dramatic or exaggerated emotions. 7. They are suggestible or easily influenced. And 8. They consider their relationships much more intimate than they really are. We've already seen some of these behaviors done by Hyunju, but again, I'm not a psychologist. This is just my own speculation. As the trial would go on, Hyunju would act dramatically. She would wobble. She would clutch her belly and groan. She would also create elaborate stories out of thin air to explain her kidnapping Nari. She she even said in the midst of trial once that she was sexually assaulted by a man who then forced her to kidnap Nari or he would kill her. But the police then showed the CCTV of her kidnapping Nari alone, footage of her in the cafe alone, and street footage of her at the payphone alone. Hyunju was losing control of the situation and fast, but she was the center of attention and for that, maybe she was happy. The prosecution demanded the death penalty, but in situations when the perpetrator is pregnant, they usually just go for life imprisonment and that's what they did. Hyunju was sentenced to life in prison and a month later gave birth to her child. That child was put up for adoption because no one in her family or her husband's family wanted to raise the child. Maybe it's for the best though because the child will never know who their parent was. Chirong Chirong Mitnari's family got legal justice but it would take a lot longer to mourn the loss of a child. They cremated her and spread her ashes on the beach that they spent their last family vacation on. Thank you for listening. See you next time on Korean True Crime.